to see is that a lot of what people have characterized and classified as manifestations of the Spirit are not manifestations of the Spirit because they don't even line up with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? So you should be able to go and look at the fruit of the Spirit and determine what is actually going on. Because if it's if it doesn't line up with the fruit of the Spirit, then it tells you it's not God. So understand, let's, let's classify manifestations, okay? You want to talk about some manifestations? Well, this is the bad one. Let me deal with one. Manifestations, they fall on two sides. So, does the Spirit of God, let me ask you a question, does the Spirit of God reveal or uncover the Spirit behind people? Yes, it does happen. The Spirit of God, does it re uncover or reveal the Spirit behind a person? Yes, it does. Very easily. So we're going to talk about manifestations of the devil and manifestations of God. Okay? Devil and God. So I'm going to give you... Um, I'll give you an example. Okay? And then I'm going to give you a scenario. And you tell me what is a manifestation of God and what is a manifestation of the devil? Okay? So, manifestation of the devil. Very simply, shaming. Shame. Right? It wants to shame. Manifestation of God. Uplifting. Right? Uplifting. We're uplifted. Okay. So let me give you a scenario. I put uplifting, yeah. So here's a scenario. Let's say you're in a church service. It's, it's not your church, okay? You're, you're a different church service. And in worship... There's people worshiping God standing next to you that are dancing like they're in the club. Is that a manifestation of God or is that a manifestation of the devil? Hmm? Devil? Anybody else? You agree? Unanimously agree? Yes? No? Maybe so? You're waiting for me to see if it's a trick question or what? <laughs> it's not a trick question. It's a simple question. I'm giving you the easy ones first. Huh? <laughs> it is of the devil. Right? Because I, I'm telling you, this actually happened. I'm, I'm, we're standing in worship and we're praising God. And all of a sudden, the guy next to us. Like raving kind of stuff, right? And then the one right next to him, over there, trying
trying to like, they do like freak dancing. I don't know, it's, it's like dirty dancing, right? And you're like, okay, well that's, that's devil. it's just like the club. What do you think happens in the club? You think it's clean dancing? No, I've been in clubs, I can tell you. In my younger years, we thought that was a cool thing to do. I went there and I was like, this is stupid. And then I never went back. So, dirty dancing, devil, right? Yeah. yeah, just put dirty dancing. So very easy to put. Okay. I'll give you. Are you, you want another easy one? Or you want a trick one? You want a harder one? A harder one? Holy laughter. Holy laughter. I told you it's a hard one. It's a tricky one. Holy laughter. Okay, when is holy laughter okay? When, when you understand what you are doing for and where you are scenario. If you are praying and you want to let the laughter of God out of you, choose a session. Okay. In person, but when it is in a congregation, when they are break out in love and they are laughing. Like during a preaching, you mean? No, while in worship. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Understand? I I know that holy laughter is real, but there's also a false holy laughter. Okay. One of the the false holy laughter is actually started here in in India. In, in, there's a sect in, in uh, Hinduism that l lays hands on people and they get holy laughter. They feel the peace of God. So what's the difference? Do you know? What is the difference? Okay. <laughs> Laughter at God should come out of the Spirit. Yep, we agree. And Anthony said, how do you know if it's from the Spirit or not? <laughs> he said, once you finish laughing, if the peace is gone, then it's, it's not of God. <laughs> so, here's the, here's the thing. If it interrupts a preaching, it's not of God. You know why? Because God is delivering His Word. His Spirit is delivering the Word, just like we read in Romans 10, so they can hear. He said, how can they have... How can they hear unless somebody preaches, right? So somebody needs to preach the word of God. So why is God going to come in and disrupt the preaching? False holy laughter. It's a demon. Cast it out. Okay? Because I guarantee it. This has been one of the major issues in churches and services and seminars to date. 
they are not judging by the spirit. They're judging by their eyes. Oh, I've seen that in church before. Okay, but it goes explicitly against scripture. Yes. Yeah, it looks crazy. Looks crazy. Right. Okay, what about when somebody's wholly laughing and rolling on the floor and trying to rip the clothes off of another person on the floor? I've seen it. I've seen it. It's completely demonic. Right? That is not of God. But your people think, oh, it's, it's holy laughter, so it's God. Okay, we'll continue. And then, oh, let's just separate them because they're getting rowdy. They're so happy. So happy they want to see the other person. Where's the logic? Why, so you can shame the other person who's not in the same state? No. Number three. When it brings attention to self. Right? What happens when you laugh? You're loud. People look at you. Right? Well, let's say it's somebody who is in mourning. And they're in a prayer line. And they're having trouble overcoming a death in the family. Right? And you go, and as soon as you touch them, they break out in holy laughter. Is that real? It is. Because they don't, you don't just switch from mourning to laughter. It's God healing their soul to allow them to overcome mourning. Hmm? Freedom. Because right? some people, they hold on to it for years. Decades even. And never move past it. So you see, it, it brings freedom. And they'll tell you, I haven't laughed since this person died. They'll tell you. Remember, anything that's of God brings uplifting, brings freedom, brings liberty. Okay? But it always lines up with the Word of God. Always lines up with the Word of God. There's order. You go back and you look. There should be order in the church of God. Even when you prophesy. If you get a prophetic word for somebody, it's supposed to be done in the presence of two or three witnesses. And it says, so they can judge if it's for the person. What we do is, as our ministry, we record it. And we give it to the person. Why? Accountability. I want to be held accountable. So if it's accurate, if it's not accurate, I know. But everybody we've given a word to, they'll tell you it's extremely accurate. And they freak out. We were talking about this yesterday when somebody went to the beach. It was like, we had um, a training. We did a boot camp for two weeks. Two weeks. So we sat in a class, 
just like this, for an entire week. And all we did was pour into them, pour into them, pour into them. We did team building games. We did all these things to network them together as a team so they understand they're close. All y'all here are already close, right? I'm assuming y'all seem that way. You can, <laughs> you can tell the camaraderie, the, the love in the family here. So it's, it's like continuing to build it up, right? And then we started teaching prophecy. It's what I'm going to do for you today. I'm going to teach you prophecy. I'm going to teach you words of knowledge, okay? And so we're going to do some exercises. It's going to be very practical. I'm going to put you in the spot, and you will prophesy. So any fear you have, throw it up, okay? Throw it up. And so we prophesy over 20, was it 23 people? Something like that. It's like 23 people, right? Our entire team, there's five of us. We prophesied with the entire, the entire uh, 23 people. It took us hours because it wasn't just short to the point. Some of it was very detailed, right? And one of the guys, after we finished, we had dinner. And, or was it, it was lunch, maybe lunch. It doesn't matter. We're eating, okay? <laughs> and he stopped talking. And he was a chatterbox before. He's just like, talk, 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 right? And then he's just sitting there quiet. And you're like, hey, what's wrong with you? He said, what does it matter if I talk? They know all my thoughts. <laughs> and so Daisy heard about it. She came and told me. I thought it was hilarious. But I was like, we have to clarify, you know? So we just went and then told him. It's like, I don't know all your thoughts. None of us do. God shows us things the more we hang around each other. So a lot of times within five minutes, God's already told me two or three things about you. And some of it's just for me to pray about. Other things just, you know, edify you later maybe. I don't know. But if it's urgent, I will let you know. Right? So it's just what we do. You know, if, and so if we were going to prophesy over somebody, we say, okay, you two, we're going to prophesy over here. So you can witness everything I say and held accountable, not on just on recording, but I have two witnesses. And especially if it's male on female or female on male, right? Because it, cause what if I come over here and let's say Harsha is not a non-believer and she doesn't care if I'm married, Right? And, and she accuses me of coming on to her. It's not good. It's a lot of trouble. Or what if it's a guy? And he accuses me of coming on to him. That's not good. Right? So you always want to have several witnesses so that it doesn't matter. You know, you're protecting your honor. You're protecting the honor of the other person. So that there's always people there. Well... Was it gonna, is it going to be easier to debate with just one person or with three people? Right? Because it wasn't, I heard, it was, I was there. It's not what he said. It's not what he did. They're lying. And you can expose it very quickly. So it's guarding, remember, being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Guarding your, yourself because guarding your heart. Because out of it comes the issues of life. Right? 
So, just think about this. The Spirit of God, and let's go back to Romans 8. It says the Spirit of God even seals us as adopted in, in, in sonship, and he's, he's a promise that's been given to us, right? And it says that we are heirs with Christ. It says, uh, verse 12, So then, brothers, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to, to death the deeds of the body... You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. See the context here? What is it talking about? Yeah, what does it say before that? Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So a lot of people just want to take the, you know, verse 14 and say, well, I'm led by the Spirit. So I go over here, and I go over here, and it's just wispiness. I was like, if that were true, then let's see the fruit in your life for the fruit of the Spirit. And they have none. Now, usually the people are addicted to different things. The people that want no accountability, they want to just be in rebellion. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You've all encountered people like that, I'm sure. Hopefully I'm not talking about any of you. But it's just the understanding that, hey, this is, this is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God reveals things in your hearts because he, he reproves you of all righteousness. So it says in John 14, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he reproves you of justice. So he's telling you, do what is just. That is not you. Do what is just. So is he going to tell you to sin? No. It's not in his nature. It's not part of him. It's no longer part of your nature. If you act, if you act contrary to your nature, you're being a hypocrite. So are people right in church and a bunch of hypocrites? Absolutely. But there's more hypocrites on the, in the world. Because they pretend to be good and they're actually evil. People in the church are good pretending to be evil. Right? Because they don't know the nature. They're babies. They're infants. They don't know better. That's why we need to grow up the body of Christ to understand the nature of God that dwells in them now. And it's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's marvelously supernatural. Because once you do something, you kill a deed by the Spirit. How do you do that? I can tell you how to do it by the flesh. They say, well, I have this habit. I'm just going to stop this habit. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do 28 days. Break this habit. And they're the ones trying to focus in and do it and push for it and strive for it. And it's hard for them. And they're crying and they're crying out to God and they're begging God and they're pleading God. And nothing changes. You know how you kill things by the Spirit? Do you? Let's go to Romans 6. And I 
And I'll go back and I'll touch on baptism in a little bit. But Romans 6, verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So you're dead. That's what it's saying. You're dead. Sin cannot jump on anybody who's dead. But yet you're living here. Galatians 2.20. You've been crucified with Christ, but yet you live in a life you live now is in Christ Jesus. So looking at this and look, looking back here, let's continue on. It says, do you, know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, water does not baptize into Christ. Believing in Jesus Christ and baptism of the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ because now you have his nature. Okay? And it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's go, let's go to, it says the exact same thing in Colossians 2. Colossians 3, it says we, we nail the deeds of the flesh to the cross and then we leave them there. Don't resurrect the old flesh, the old self. Leave them dead. So when the devil tries to come knock at my door and tempt me into something, what do you think I do? Hmm? What do you think I do? Anybody know? How do I resist the devil? With the word? What does the word say? What did I just read? <coughs> you did. If you're dead, sin has no bound to you. It can't touch you. You can't do it. Because you no longer have a desire for it. So the devil comes, he's, he's trying to tempt you just like he did Jesus using the exact same method he used on Eve, right? To get you, if you go back and you actually study out Genesis 3, you find out that she lusted after the fruit that would give her the knowledge of good and evil because the devil said she would become like God. He completely denied what God said she already was. And called God a liar to his face by eating the fruit. That's what I'm saying. You either trust God or you don't. Faith is just trust. You trust his word. It's very simple. We make it complicated, but it's very simple. He trusts his word over the devil's word every single time. So when the devil comes knocking on the door, I'm saying, who are you here for? Well, I'm here for Anthony. Well, I'm sorry. He passed away. I preached at his funeral. Bye. Because you have to decide 
at some point that you are buried with Christ. If you're buried with Christ, then you can live in the newness of life. The problem in the church today is that so many believers are trying to live a resurrected life without dying. Right? And this is something we got to step out of. We got to get the, the church to grow up out of so they can walk in the newness of life. What does John 10 10 say? The second part. Jesus said, I come that you may have life and life in abundance. If you have life in abundance, you got so much, you have to give it away. Because you don't want to waste it. Right? What do you think it is when you go lay hands on the sick? You're giving away life. Right? Because we read Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So life pushes out sin and death. Jesus is the tree of life. This is amazing, I'm telling you. When you understand, if you really understand this, don't just get the head knowledge. I know that, I know that. So what if you know it? The devil knows the Bible. He can't apply it. He doesn't even understand it. If he did understand it, he would never crucify Jesus Christ. We wouldn't be here today. Right? So you have to understand it. Out of that comes wisdom. Godly wisdom. We can see that. Peter lays it out. Add to your faith. What? Right? He goes through a whole list. This is how you grow. Pay attention. This is the natural process of things. And so you begin to, you get something. I, I get a word, and I take it to God, and I'm like, God, okay. And I start chewing on it. It's like I put some gum in my mouth. And I'm chewing on it, and I'm talking to God about it. I was like, hmm. So what do you mean exactly by this? So if, if, if you're saying this, then it means this, this, and this. Okay, that can't be true because that goes against your word. Okay, let me go back to the drawing board. So if you're saying this, it means this, this, and... Oh, this works. So I don't want to just know it on paper. Because the letter kills, but the, it's the spirit that brings life. And we have to mix scripture with faith. Scripture with trust in God so that it comes to pass. It begins to manifest. Right? And as we do that, we see the goodness of God manifest in our lives, the abundance of life manifest in our lives, and it changes everything. Then people look at you like, man, Arsha, you're so blessed. How do you do it every day? Do you float when you get out of your bed? <laughs> right? Because people notice things like that and they start assuming things. You must hover when you lay down in the air. Mm, no. And so you have to, to get people to the understanding. Not just, don't just give them knowledge. Help them get to the understanding of the word. 
Is everything we teach, everything we do, needs to be based on the word. Not on our opinions, not on what we think or what we speculate or anything else. I have a lot of people that come to me all the time and they ask me all these weird questions. Weird questions, okay? And they're like, so what do you guys say about that? I'm trying to test my Bible knowledge, right? And I was like, according to what you're saying, I can only say what scripture says. And scripture says this. Well, that's a little harsh, don't you think? I don't have a right to think beyond scripture. I stay in the bounds of scripture so I don't get led astray. Because there's two different ditches in the church today, right? You have the people who say, we don't need scripture at all because we have the Holy Spirit. He guides us in all things. And then they end up to some flaky, foo-foo stuff, right? That's what I like to call the, pro the pathetic, not the prophetic, the pathetic, <laughs> right? And, and they go off over here on the side, and everything they say is, oh, he's sitting under an AC, I see. And, and it makes up something about the AC. <laughs> the refreshing of God poured out over you, Anthony. That's what I call the pathetic. Okay? And on the other side, we have the hard legalists holding on to the word. They don't do anything with the word except for beat people with their Bible. <laughs> right? You see them walking around, and it's almost like you can see them grab it and going after people. Pff, pff, pff. The word says this, and then you go to their house, and they're, they're contradicting everything they're teaching everybody else to do. <laughs> well, brother, we live two different lives. We live the life in the pulpit and the life outside of the pulpit. No, Christianity is a lifestyle. Amen. It's not a religion, it's a lifestyle. It doesn't matter where you're at or what's going on at any place, any time, you manifest as a son of God. Yes. Every single time. Because when you do that, you're taking the spirit and you're taking the word and you're mixing them together. I'm telling you, when you're out with your friends, you see somebody sick, you say like, oh, come on. Hey, guys, I might embarrass you right now because I'm about to manifest. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? When it manifests as the Son of God, watch this. You walk over, you pray for him. You can be somewhere, and God will tell you to preach. God, I'm in a restaurant. What do you want me to do? Stand up on the chair and preach John 3.16. You want me to do what? I don't think I'm hearing God. No, no. There's static in the line. Right? But if you live a life surrendered, then it doesn't matter. Because you're dead. Right? There's no fear. None of that can hold on you because it's not you anymore. You are walking in the, the life of Jesus Christ. The newness of life. So who cares? Well, you might embarrass the people who are with you. So? Maybe it'll inspire them to step out and become believers instead of pew warmers. You know, something very interesting. Everybody always picks on Peter for getting out of the boat. Well, he sank in the waves. 
But there was 11 people in the boat watching. Right? Don't get mad at Peter for believing God in trying and partially failing. He walked on the water. Right? The other 11 only get to talk about it. I saw him walk on the water. That was pretty cool. But then he fell, remember? He, he started going down. He started going down. And then everybody just focuses on the going down. I was like, man, he, he was walking on the water. Who cares about the sinking part? He took his eyes off Jesus. So what's the secret? Keep your eyes on Jesus. You walk on water. He walked on water. The other 11 can't say that. See, because when you know the very nature of God in you, you have nothing to hold back to. You have nothing to hinder you. Oh, what are they going to say? What are you going to do? Oh, I, mean, I don't know. Uh, and you have all these excuses you try to hide behind because you're still alive. You haven't put yourself to death. But when you're completely fearless, you don't care where you're at, what's going on, or what's happening. Right? Because the devil might try to take you out, but every time the devil tried to take out a believer, what happened? God was glorified. There was a greater deliverance through it. When they persecuted the church, what happened? Christianity blossomed because they saw their unconditional love, not loving their lives unto death. Because they understood that they're no longer their own. They belong to Jesus Christ. And it's just not just a fancy saying, but it's a, literally a principle to live by. Because when you understand the very nature of God in you, it's like, come on. Come on. You carry the Spirit of God in you. You think He's going to abandon you? He says He'll never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter what you see with your eyes or what you're going through. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is life with Him. Don't pay attention to the situations or the circumstances or the distractions and the offenses and the bitterness and the unforgiveness of everything the world is trying to push on you. Because it distracts you. It weighs you down. It makes you ineffective for the kingdom. But knowing the very nature of God, oh, it's like, you don't know my papa. I'm telling you, I had this dream where this devil, huge devil, huge devil, and he had this little, little imp on his shoulder, little, like a little midget. And he walks up to me, and he looks down at me, and he's got big muscles and everything. And he starts laughing at me. <laughs> and I'm feeling intimidated. I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm just being honest. I, I feel fear come up. It's like, that's one stinking big devil. Right? And then I was like, God asked me, what are you going to do? I was like, well, he's laughing. I guess I'm going to laugh back. <laughs> I started laughing back. He stops laughing. He looks at me. He goes, what are you laughing at? 
my God's bigger. Right? I, said, I told him. I even said, my dad is bigger. Hey, dad, he's trying to pick on me. <laughs> right? But now, I, what I know, what I know about our nature, and him living inside of me, no devil in hell can come against us and stand in our presence. They represent a different kingdom. What does it say about everywhere you place your foot? You have dominion. What does dominion mean? Rule? Is that what you said? Yes, no? I'm asking. You have the right to rule? Okay. It means domain. Domain. So do you have a right to rule in your domain? Absolutely. You have the exousia to, to rule in your kratos. Right? Very simply. So everywhere you go, you're blessed. You're blessed. Everywhere you go. But what if I walk by a witch doctor's place? You're blessed. He better be careful. He's probably hiding from you. I don't want to know what he's got. He's got too much light. Right? She's got too much light. Don't come over here. See, what's been taught in the church before is, oh, you need to be scared of that because they have some power. Well, they have power, but they serve the created. We serve the creator. Who has greater power? Who has greater power? God does. He lives in us, so we do. Like I said, can any darkness touch light? No. That's why Jesus said, the wicked one comes and he has no place in me. No place in us. Because we're in Christ. He has no place in us. No fear. No fear. What would your life look like? What would your village or your city or your town or your community look like? If you walk completely without fear. Hmm? None of this. Just this. Well, that sounds like pride, brother. No, it's not. Because it's the principle of understanding I am who he says I am. I can do what he says I can do. I have what he says I have. Right? So if I have what he says I have, then what's impossible? That's what he asked. That's what Jesus asked. What's impossible for them who believe? We go to, back to Mark 11, 22 to 24. Whosoever whatsoever right 
so we get, let's, let's talk about day raising, okay? You ready to talk about day raising for 10 minutes? Dead raising. The thing is, when people go into a dead raising, they have their own preconceived ideas of what's going to happen. Right? And then they try to make it happen. What's wrong with that statement? They try to make it happen. Verse, verses, letting life flow through you. You might wake them up with a slap, or you might just take their hand, rise up and walk. Right? Right? Isn't that how Jesus did it? We pay attention to the method, and it's not a method. It's an understanding. Healing is not a method. Don't get caught up on a method. Or you might be spitting on people. <laughs> Sorry, conversation with me yesterday. <laughs> you might be spitting on people and putting your finger in theirs. <laughs> right? When I pray for people who have hearing problems, I don't put my finger in ears. I don't know how well they groom. <laughs> right? I'm just thinking practically. Because I know if I just grab their hands, I know life flows to their entire body. Right? So I know you as trainers know you don't have to put your hand at the problem place. Right? Thank God. <laughs> we had a situation a while back where we sent somebody to go pray for a female with breast cancer. And it was a guy, and he was the only one who could go. And he was learning. Let's just say they got married three months later. <laughs> she was completely healed, and they got married three months later. Okay? <laughs> so... <laughs> So he laid his hands where he shouldn't have laid his hands, okay? And then the other thing is, there was a guy that I know, his cousin was learning how to pray for people. And he came across an athlete who was playing football, and he pulled his groin, right? And he was like, oh, so you have pain there right now? He goes, yeah, I have a lot of pain there. He goes, can I put my hand there? Yes. And the guy's like, sure, I guess. You know, the guy puts you in there. I love y'all. Don't ever ask me to put my hand on your ground. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> so there's, there's certain things we don't do, right? So understanding that it's just the life of God in you, the very nature of God in you, that heals the person. Because as soon as you enter into trying to make it happen, it won't happen. And I've learned this through trial and error. Okay? For instance, can, can I change the subject slightly? Is that okay? I was driving eight hours from South Texas to Dallas, where I live, 
I stopped to put in, we call it petro gas, right? So I stopped to put in gas. And my tank was at half a tank. It was, at the time, our gas rates were really high. So which, it was supposed to cost me $25, $30 for half a tank, right? So I'm pumping. It stops at 10. Look at it. Try pumping again. I was like, well, I guess my gauge is off. Something's off, right? So I just hang it up. Don't anything in of it. Close the tank. Continue driving. We went from what should have taken us four and a half hours to drive. I made it in two. Going five miles under the speed limit. So it's supposed to take me four and a half hours. I made it in two. And so when I stopped to put in gas again, again, it should have been at least 20 bucks, right? And I go in, it's $10 again. I'm like, what is wrong with my tank? And I had to look at Daisy, I get in the car, I look at Daisy, and I was like, what time did we leave? She left, she's like, huh? We look, oh my gosh, we left two hours ago. We're already four and a half hours into the trip. Then I decided, and then I realized, at first I realized, oh my gosh, even the gas. God cut our, ca our gas bill in half as we're traveling. He didn't just cut the time in half, he cut the gas bill in half. Figure that one out. Right? So I decide, all right, the rest of the trip is going to happen the same way. It took normal length. <laughs> Three and a half hours later, I get there and I'm like, what's wrong? What happened? God said, you started trying to make it happen. I couldn't work anymore. It was off your own strength, your own power. Oh. And it happens in prayer lines. You go and you pray for one. You see them healed. You see the next one healed. And then you get to another one. And you pray for them, nothing. And you pray again, nothing. And you pray again, nothing. And you're like, there must be something wrong with this one. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that one. You got confidence in yourself, seeing everybody else here. But when you get to that one, you're trying to do it out of your own confidence instead of reliance on God. So if you just step back, get your focus back on Him. And then you even simplify it even further and just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Step back. They're healed. Why? Because I'm telling you, we are too quick to pray for people sometimes. And you have to develop the discipline to know it's by his stripes they are healed. That's why whenever I do healing service, I, I tell people, I was not beat for you. Don't look at me. I didn't bear those stripes. He bore those stripes. And then I declare healing over them. 30, 50, 60% of them are healed on the spot. Anybody left over, the stragglers, right? They come up for healing. 
And most of the people that come up for healing, we don't even pray for. The people we train, pray for them. Anybody who's left over, our team prays for, and they're healed. As elders. The word elders in, in New Testament only means the seniors. Somebody who's been doing it longer. That's all it means. In James, it means elders. Somebody who's been doing it longer. Doesn't mean that you're up in age or anything like that. Because it says that Timothy was an elder and he was young. Right? So you see, it has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with experience of walking with God. Because I can tell you, if I'm, if I'm going to start a business, I'm not going to go to somebody who's never started a business before. What am I going to do? I'm going to go, I'm going to seek out the business people. Right? I'm like, okay, how did you do it? How did you start? What are some things I need to watch out and avoid and, and pay attention to? What are the mistakes you made? Right? What do you call that? Wisdom. Wisdom. Find counsel. So you don't repeat the mistakes everybody else has made. Learn from their mistakes. It's called wisdom. So going back to healing, you see that you have to stay out of your own head. Stay out of your own soul. It's easy to get in your own soul, especially when you're seeing 20, 30 people healed. A hundred, thousands. You're like, where's the next one? Where's the next one? I'm ready just to lay hands. Right? And you can get confidence in yourself. And that's what's toxic. So I'm telling you, walking with God, walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit is a case-by-case -case basis. I don't put any confidence in myself. I put my confidence in the nature of God, who is healer 100% of the time. I'm telling you, look, you can see, I got goosebumps. Because if we put our confidence in ourselves, we we'll stop seeing people get healed. And then we start focusing on the failure. And the failure produce, produces more failure because we're focusing on it. Right? But that's why it says the word is like a mirror. We behold ourselves in the mirror. And the problem is we walk away and we forget exactly what we're supposed to look like. Who is the Word of God? Jesus. So when we behold ourselves in the mirror, we're looking at Jesus. Right? What He says about us, who He says you are. Who He says you are. So it goes from there. You should be operating from that place. So you're not, because if you start focusing on, oh, I do this, and I did that, and I accomplished this, and I accomplished that. What are you doing? Why do you think Paul lists all his credentials? And he goes, I count them as poop. I count them all as dung that I may know the fullness, the riches in Christ Jesus. They count for nothing. 
These are people's lives. Daisy and I were talking this morning about several cases we've seen some of our friends go through because they're trying to heal people. And they give people false hope. Jesus does not give people false hope. But they're trying to do it out of their flesh. They're trying to do it out of their soul to make things happen. Because they have the knowledge, but they have no understanding. Get knowledge, but get understanding. Isn't that what Proverbs says? So it's very important that you understand that you must get understanding. Talk to God about Scripture. He loves it. He loves talking about Scripture. I talk to God about Scripture. And the best time to talk about Scripture is right before you go to sleep. You know why? Hmm? You'll get dreams. Yeah, that can happen. Your mind stays processing on that all night. You wake up in the morning still meditating on it. God says the evening and the morning were the first day. That's a day. So we think while we're awake this is the time to be processing and focusing on that. No, no, no. Your soul's in the way. Can you do it during the day? Yes, you can. But if you really want deep revelation in things, do it at night. Push away the, the, the cares, the issues, everything else. Or, or better yet, if you have a problem, when I was in business, so I did, I would present my issue, my problem before God. God, I'm having trouble here. I need a solution. Every morning when I woke up, I had the solution. Every morning. Because he honors that. And it's not me trying to figure out in my carnality, okay, how do I make this happen? I work this in the news. And all of a sudden, as soon as I wake up, boom, God thought. Oh, that will work. I can do that. And then I put it into action, and everything pans out perfectly. That's why it says be anxious for nothing. But in all, you know, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Come on, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. So as you realize it's relationship, God wants relationship. He wants to talk about himself. He wants to talk about you. But a lot of times we're so selfish. God, I just want to tell you about me, 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 all right, my, I, I, me, me. Um, and we don't even let him talk. When's the last time you just got before God and said, God, I'm just here for you. What do you want to talk about? When's the last time? And there's just silence. I can tell you. First time I did it, it was just silence. He says, I've been waiting for this. Thank you. He loves communion with us. Absolute communion with us. 
in its relationship. See, fear is a, is a terrible motivator. Terrible motivator. Because if you fear something, after a while, you find a bigger fear. Well, the fear fades away. But when you develop a relationship with somebody, with the greatest person in the world, God, it inspires loyalty. It inspires you to do things. I mean, we see how it works with relationships, right? Physical relationships. How much more with God, who is perfect? I'm telling you, he is the kindest person on the face of the, the planet. The kindest person. And I'll share more about that in a little bit. I'll let you take a break. I realize it went over time. I'm telling you, is this good stuff? Is this helping anybody? No? I'm telling you, it'll revolutionize your walk with Christ. Amen? Let's take a short break, about 10, 15 minutes, and we'll jump back in.